Yo, what up everybody? Welcome back to the Cypher Podcast. My name is Mikey Ribes. I'm your host. This is episode four. Thank you for tuning in. We got to get right into it because we have a great episode today. Hold on one second. We got to get right into it as I was saying. I'm going to start with current events. This topic that I chose today does not even need an introduction. And when I bring it up a little bit later, you'll understand why. Current event number one, SoundCloud is switching things up and they're leading by example this time. You know, I don't think SoundCloud's been ahead of the curve so often in recent years, but I think in this case, they're onto something. Uh, One of the most hotly debated concepts in modern music rights is the user-centric licensing model. This model sees streaming royalties paid out based on individual subscriber behavior, right? So with a percentage of each subscriber's subscription fee being distributed only to the artists or labels that they have individually listened to that month, right? So SoundCloud is calling this fan-powered royalties. So instead of pooling all of SoundCloud's subscription revenue, they're going to distribute each individual SoundCloud user's subscription based on the artists that they actually listen to. Um, SoundCloud says this will launch on April 1st, 2021, and, quote, will benefit rising artists with loyal fans. So I'm really interested to see how this does. This is the first time that this has ever been tried in the modern music business, especially in streaming or kind of that whole realm, if you know what I mean. Um, and I think it's really going to help growing artists. I think especially, like SoundCloud said, the key word from that quote was loyal fans. I think if you have a lot of fans that are coming to listen to your music each month, you know, you're, you're definitely going to see some positive results from this. So I'm excited. I'm definitely going to keep an eye on this one going forward. Second current event, cannabis laws. They are outdated, and Jay-Z is completely over it. The first billionaire rapper was quoted the other day saying, cannabis laws are disproportionately cruel and punishing when compared to the rest of the legal code. We still don't have proper regulation for texting and driving in Missouri, but staying home and smoking weed, you will get locked up. So, why does this matter? It matters because as many more states are moving towards legalizing weed, Jay-Z started a nationwide campaign with his cannabis company, Monogram. And they're starting conversations and raising awareness about how the regulations that are currently in place have created a divisive reality. There's murals, billboards, mobile ads um, all over Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York, Chicago, Washington, D.C., and Miami. Jay-Z says they have plans to expand to additional cities before the end of March. The campaign images highlight real people that are negatively affected by the war on drugs. Um, And they also highlight uh, why work needs to be done to repair the past mistakes of this system. So I think this is really interesting. I love when rappers get involved on social justice issues. I think that rappers are a lot more involved on these issues sometimes than we think. That's why I was excited to highlight it this week. And I'm rooting for Jay-Z. Michigan legalized weed about a year and a half, almost two years ago now. And we haven't really seen, you know, the long-term effects of it yet, but... I'm interested to see how Jay-Z's campaign pans out because I agree with him that I think there needs to be an update to the language of the law around it. So I'm interested to see how that turns out. And then lastly, our third current event for the day. This one's kind of an interesting, kind of oddball, out-of-left-field current event. But North Carolina rapper uh, 
Jonah Rain angered parents at a local high school recently when he filmed a music video at a high school in North Carolina. Apparently, he signed a contract and he paid $800 to be able to use the school for his video for, you know, a couple hours out of the day or whatever. And the reason why the parents are upset is because this video contained a fake bag of weed skateboarding through the school and it hinted at inappropriate teacher-student relationships um, and obviously some profanity. I only say obviously because these parents were mad, so you got to figure it probably had to do with something about the language that he was using in his song. Um, I read an article about this because I wanted to dig a little bit deeper, and Jonah Rain claims that he followed the rules of the contract, and the only reason why the parents got mad, he said, is because he found a loophole in the contract that allowed him to break the rules, kind of quote-unquote. Um, it's kind of funny. The school put out a, um, a statement saying that he won't be back to film anything anytime soon at that particular high school. So I 100% want to hear everybody's thoughts on this one because it's the oddball, super weird one for the week. Let me know what you think in the comments on Instagram, on Cypher's page, and let me know what you think about these parents. Are they... Are they right to get angry? I mean, he paid the 800 bucks. You know, they had the contract. He said there was a loophole, but the parents don't agree. You know, the one thing I would say to Jonah Rain, a little bit of feedback for him is if parents are getting mad about the substance in your music video or they're getting mad about the language you're using, instead of trying to combat them and telling them that they're wrong, maybe tell them why you're using that language, you know, or why you decided to film the music video like that. Maybe that way they'd understand. Anyways, I digress, and those are our current events for the week. Now, it's story time, and our story starts on August 11th, 1973, which is the date that is almost universally recognized as the day that hip-hop was born. And the birthplace of hip-hop is New York City. And fun fact, I actually used to live like blocks away from where hip-hop is said to have been started, in New York, right near the Bronx. I was probably probably not even three minutes away, a few blocks. And um, the address that started it all was actually 1520 Sedgwick Avenue. And I might be saying that incorrectly, but I'll spell it out for you. It's S-E-D-G-W-I-C-K, Sedgwick Avenue. This is where DJ Cool Herc and his sister, Cindy, threw the ultimate back-to-school party. That night, August 11th, 1973, DJ Cool Herc played a super eclectic mix of, like, funk music and jazz, all this other cool stuff. And he was always extending the breakbeat part of the song when he would play them, which is kind of also known as the best part of the song to a lot of people. So more than 300 kids showed up to this party. They danced, sang for hours. And then by the next day, DJ Cool Herc, whose government name was Clive Campbell, was known all across the Bronx. And this was the beginning of hip-hop. And Sedgwick Avenue is now lovingly referred to as Hip-Hop Avenue. So in this episode, it's going to be a little bit different because I'm going to be talking a little bit less about the big name artists that make up the New York hip hop scene, but rather I'm going to deep dive and focus on the events, places, and people 
that carved a path for the big name artists to make names for themselves. And I'm definitely going to name drop a little bit too. We'll hear about a couple of groups and a couple of artists that definitely have cemented themselves into the the history of New York hip hop. Um, but I do also kind of want to focus on the story and the timeline and what happened and a little bit about what it was like to be in New York when hip hop was was on the rise. And so I'm calling this a city study. Obviously, we're focusing on New York City and the early years of hip hop. I'm going to cover from about 1973 until the early, early, early 2000s. We're going to hit the highlights and I'm really excited. So I've already prefaced this with the party that started it all, but what happened next, right? So the events that took place at the party in the Bronx in 1973 would evolve into hip-hop culture, which consists really of four main elements. And I can argue a fifth, but that's for a different episode. For this one, I'm just going to stick to four. And they are emceeing, which is rapping, DJing and producing, the music making, graffiti art, and breakdancing. And the fifth one that I'm not talking about too much today is fashion, but that's the one that I include. Not everybody else does. Sound off in the comments. I will definitely share my opinion about that with you guys. All four of these, emceeing, DJing, graffiti, and breakdancing, were present at the party held by DJ Cool Herc. That's why it's considered uh, kind of the birth, the birth of hip-hop. The only difference is, is that people didn't really call them by those names yet, you know? Over the next four years, hip-hop grew at a very slow pace, mostly in New York, almost exclusively in New York. Um, but a crazy accident actually caused basically hip-hop to explode in the city overnight. And it was during New York's great electricity blackout of 1977 Locals looted all these DJ equipment stores, electronic stores, music stores, all of this. And then overnight, New York actually had thousands of new DJs. So it's a little bit of a non-conventional way to find yourself in the music industry. But in this case, it actually ended up working out because this is how a lot of people got into the hip hop culture in New York in the late 70s, or the mid-70s, I guess, 1977, so mid-70s. Um, and this led to an explosion of parties, or they would call them jams, at the parks around the city. Uh, DJ crews would hook up their equipment to the light poles and throw teenage parties at parks like Cedar Playground, which was a super popular spot back then. And this is how music, DJing, and breakdancing kind of all blew up at the same time. But what about graffiti? You know, because we have these four elements, and so we kind of see where three of them came from. But what about graffiti? So despite its actual lack of real graffiti art, the Bronx 149th subway train ranks very high in terms of graffiti heritage. From the mid-70s to the 80s, graffiti writers from all over the city actually would meet at this very particular subway station, the Bronx 149th, and they sat on this very famous bench. It's called the Writer's Bench. They would compare designs, they would sign other graffiti artists' black books, they would admire the artwork of the bombed trains that passed by, and bombed is just the term that you use when you want to describe something that's covered head-to-toe in graffiti art. Um, and that is, in a nutshell, how hip-hop culture started to form in New York. We had the four main elements, emceeing, which is rapping, DJing, graffiti, and breakdancing, and there's a bit of a story kind of for each element and how it started to form into its own, you know, kind of aspect of hip-hop, if you will. So the Bronx is 
definitely the birthplace of hip-hop. And that's because these four elements that I've been talking about all came from there. That's where they all originated. But hip-hop really grew up in Queens. And I'm talking very specifically about Hollis. So the middle-class area of Hollis, Queens, would be home to some of hip-hop's absolute royalty. LL Cool J, Ja Rule, Run DMC, even Russell Simmons, the famous businessman who would go on to help co-found the Def Jam record label, grew up there. Hollis is important because it was the gateway for hip-hop to expand, not only in New York, but also outside of New York, and then eventually the rest of the world in the 1980s. And so Run DMC, which Russell Simmons' brother was actually a part of at the time, did their first show in Hollis. So it's really where they got their start. They made names for themselves there that would stand the test of time, and they developed their first fans there as well. It was really where they you know, kind of got everything off the ground. Run DMC was actually inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2009, and they're the second hip-hop group to ever achieve this. Okay, so why does this all matter? It's crucial because without Run DMC and what they did in Hollis and the attention that they were able to bring into hip-hop that would help it later spread, you know, and how they were doing it at the time, hip-hop would not be anywhere near as popular as it is today. And that's just my opinion, so let me know your opinions in the comments on Instagram. Find us at The Cypher Podcast. But I really do believe it to be true. I also believe to be true that the single biggest contribution that Hollis made to hip-hop was that it allowed for hip-hop to begin to cross over into the mainstream. It wasn't Ja Rule or LL Cool J or Run DMC or even Russell Simmons who started Def Jam. No, it was the fact that Hollis was the catalyst for hip-hop to really begin to expand and expand rather quickly. So that's why Hollis is so important. Now, we also have to give a little bit of credit to Staten Island. Wu-Tang comes from Staten Island. Everyone knows Wu-Tang, another hip-hop supergroup. They released their debut album in 1992. It was called Enter the Wu-Tang, 36 Chambers. So that is the day, or that is the year, I should say, that Staten Island um, entered hip-hop history. You know, most of the members of the Wu-Tang group, which is actually inspired by kung fu movies, not everybody knows that, but it's 100% true, grew up in the Stapleton and Park Hill housing projects of Staten Island. So got to give Staten Island a little bit of credit there. But Hollis and Staten Island are not the only places that deserve credit for shedding the national light on hip-hop. Now we have to enter Manhattan into the picture, specifically the Tunnel Nightclub. The Tunnel Nightclub, which was formerly located on 12th Avenue in Manhattan's Chelsea District, it's no longer there, is where hip-hop truly crossed over into the mainstream and started to make waves all over the country because once it kind of got picked up at the Tunnel Nightclub, nightclubs all around the country started to play more hip-hop, right? And so every week, industry people, artists... I'm talking DJs, breakdancers, people who just wanted to party. Everybody would get together at the Tunnel Nightclub on Sunday nights and party to hip-hop music, all the up-and-coming music. 
This ran from 1993 until 2001, and this was culturally defining in New York because everybody wanted to go to these parties. People like P. Diddy would show up there. Other up-and-coming artists at the time would be there. So it was a big scene for hip-hop at the time, and it was really what allowed other cities around the country to start to listen to hip-hop a lot more, play it in the clubs, and and like I said, it really crossed over um, into mainstream. And so these parties really united people from all of New York's boroughs who often competed to see like who could buy the most champagne bottles, and they had fun competitions, and it really was a party. You know, and we definitely hear a lot of influence in today's hip hop from these parties they used to have at the Tunnel Nightclub. So that's why Manhattan, specifically the Chelsea District, where the Tunnel Nightclub was, is important to hip hop because it really opened the door for hip hop to not only leave New York, but enter new countries. So that's exciting. And kind of wrapping it all up, the entire city of New York is responsible for the birth of hip hop. You know, but these were some of the defining events that really helped pioneer not only a genre of music, but arguably the most popular genre of music right now, with the exception of pop, Um, and also an entire culture that's embraced by millions and millions of people. So I personally would love to ask DJ Cool Herc if he knew what would happen after that party that he hosted in the Bronx on August 11th in 1973 because it's events like this you know seemingly innocent that sparked the tent poles of the birth of hip-hop and so that's the slightly abridged version of hip-hop's upbringing if you will in new york and i'm super interested in how hip-hop evolved around the world and so i'm definitely going to be doing more of these city studies along the way as we begin to do more episodes And I felt like it was only right to start with New York because it is the city that started it all. So let me know in the Instagram comments which city you guys want me to do next. Maybe it's your city. Next, maybe it's your city. Whatever city it is, I'm excited to hear about it. So comment on the Instagram, at Cypher Podcast, and we'll see what you guys say. I want to end by saying that New York will always be the most influential city in hip-hop. That's no question. There's a lot of amazing artists that come out of cities like Detroit, Chicago, L.A., Houston, Miami, Atlanta. All these places have awesome, unique hip-hop sounds of their own. But New York will always be the most influential. I think the reason for that is because the talent that comes out of it is undeniable. For decades, since the early 70s, New York has been producing some of the most famous, talented, skillful, and most importantly, culturally defining artists in the genre. You know, we have artists like Cardi B, more recently, 50 Cent from the 2000s, Jay-Z from honestly the last 25 years, and even Nas, who had his heyday back in the early 2000s and even a little bit in the late 2000s. So there's so many artists that have done so much for hip-hop that have come out of New York that I think there's just no way that any other city can take that crown. So that brings me to my cipher of the week. My artist this week is Nas, the king of New York. Is is there a king of New York? I actually don't know. Um, that might have to be an episode, but Nas would definitely be in the running for that. He's one of my favorites. Um, one of the pioneering artists that came out of New York for sure. If you haven't listened to Illmatic, you have to listen to that. He's my artist of the week. I have a different album, but go listen to Nas this week. Song, Empire State of Mind, Jay-Z, Need I Say More? I don't think so. 
album, Enter the Wu-Tang, 36 Chambers, one of the most famous hip-hop albums of all time, came out of Staten Island, a classic to the genre, and the city. Listen, thank you everybody so much for tuning in this week. Please keep tuning in. I'm excited to try new episode formats and maybe do an interview or two um, coming up soon. So let me know your thoughts about New York and its impact on hip-hop and how it all got started. I want to know if you could live in any decade in New York, which decade would you choose to grow up in? The 70s, 80s, or 90s? Let me know. And I'll give you my answer next week on episode five. Go comment on the Instagram at Cypher Podcast. Please share and subscribe to all your friends. We're on every listening service. I'm trying to grow this. It's very exciting. I appreciate everybody for listening. Until next week, peace.